Hi, my name's Tom Quilfell. Welcome to Sound of Play Extra. That was No Escape by Toy Tree from Strafe. I'm a Kane and Rince listener turned contributor and recently interviewed PlayStation's principal composer, Jim Fowler, which you can hear sandwiched between Sound of Play 93 and 94. Here's my interview with Portland, Oregon-based composer Amos Roddy, who goes by the artist moniker Toy Tree. He's worked on a modest number of games, being relatively new to the scene, but we mostly talked about his score for the retro first-person shooter Strafe, which was recently released on PC and PS4 and was developed by Pixel Titans and published by Devolver Digital. Strafe is billed as a roguelike featuring procedurally generated levels and lots and lots of jibs. Aesthetically, it pays explicit homage to id's seminal 1996 shooter Quake, and I feel that Toy Tree's score in its own way pays homage to Trent Reznor's band Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor of course contributing the soundtrack to the original Quake. Now, full disclosure with this one, I do some blogging and social media work with Laced Records, which is releasing the Strafe soundtrack on vinyl. That's why this interview came about. I hope you won't consider that there's any flagrant hard selling during our conversation, although we do talk a lot about Strafe, and we also wax lyrical about the general vinyl revival later on. We had the opportunity to chat in the process of creating an article for the video game music and vinyl blog LacedWithWax.com, which I edit at the moment. It features a mixture of interviews, listicles and community pieces where Leon and various of the Kane and Rince crew have chipped in from time to time. Before we get to the chat, here's Slain from Strafe by Toy Tree. relative newbie to video game music composition? Yeah, yeah, I haven't been doing it for very long. Um, Strafe was actually the first project I started on, so it's taken a long time to come out, but um, I started working on it three years ago, which is almost exactly when I decided to pursue, you know, maybe dovetailing games and music. So, yeah, I, I, I would definitely consider myself, I guess, a a newbie of game composing. So how did you get into games composition before even Strife came along? Um, I, I've been writing music for um, a number of years, and I, I think it actually came out of frustration with my personal music. Um, and I just thought, f*** it, I'm going to write something electronic for a change. And um, For a change from what? From From lyrical music, which is primarily what I, I still do, although, you know, I've, I've, I've just historically been way, way, way too shy with my music. Um, and you do that enough years and you set a precedence of kind of 
having this uh, self-defeating loop. And I, I, it sounded kind of lighthearted to do something um, very different, maybe playful. And then I said, so you know, it was kind of like, yeah, let's do an EP or something. And then the more I was doing it, um, I was like, you know, I wonder if I could maybe pitch this to games. And I'd always been an avid gamer and I check all the game sites daily and I know all the music that's in games and stuff. So it, it just seemed like, like, why the hell not? Right. It's, it, it's also like a degree removed from being personal because it was under the name of a moniker and it was a, why not try? So, so who did you pitch when you decided to sort of start this new chapter? Ooh, so many people. Um, there's this sort of feeling consensus in the game industry, at least in the indie game industry. The, the consensus is that sound designers and musicians are everywhere because I think people perceive it as the quickest way to get into the industry. Um, so my joke is sort of that we're like the door-to-door salesman of this industry. <laughs> and that's totally how I started. I... I, every everything I could find that I thought was cool, I'd ask if they needed sound if they were early on. Um, not aggressively, so of course, but yeah. So I just started. I finished that EP and I kind of pitched it to people. And um, one of them was uh, a game called Kingdom, which had previously had a Flash version, and I had loved the Flash version. And eventually, Thomas, the developer of that game, got back to me, and I, I started working on that. And that's after Strafe started, but Kingdom came out a while ago already. favorite games growing up? I was a Sega Genesis kid and then a, a PlayStation kid. For me, Sonic 2 was incredible. It depends what time, right? Like, as I was a teenager, uh, Final Fantasy 7. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. <laughs> Were those the games that had your favorite music or did you like the games better because of their music or, or actually do you like a separate set of game scores on one hand and the games you actually like to play are slightly different probably the 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 one game that stands out the most and was was had the biggest impression on me creatively was the neverhood i don't know if you remember that game was it claymation yeah that one and that came out when i was very young and um i just i drew pictures of that world for i don't know like three years um i have like books that i had like little fan novels <laughs> of the neverhood that i claimed had nothing to do with the neverhood and this is its own its own world <laughs> but um yeah the music was utterly bizarre 
I don't know, I think as I drifted into being a teenager, like I just got sucked into the depression of adolescence and MMOs, which I think are not necessarily that great a fuel for art. But then, you know, now with this, you know, as, as an adult and with, with so many cool indie games, um, it's really easy to find inspiration sort of anywhere you look, or not anywhere, but but I find the, to answer your question in a very roundabout way, currently the games that I find the most compelling are the ones that sort of build a world for you to live in. It sounds like you're saying is that it's not just the music, it's the vibe, it's the art, it's the music, it's the design, it's the world, it's the dialogue, it's everything together. And if a game has a strong, cohesive kind of otherworldliness about it, that's what impressed you more than necessarily this, you know, this game has a great score. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, th- I, I can't really think of that many games, really maybe like a dozen or so that I want to play because of the score. Um, not because I, I mean, I, I don't mean to say I dislike the score, but there's, there's rarely a game where I like go like, oh, I want to play that game so I can listen to that music again. Um, but yeah, it's definitely the vibe. I'm, I'm not, I'm not like a library of, of current music or anything. Um, it's definitely the cohesion. And what are some recent indie games that have nailed that for you? Definitely the one that really blew me away was Somerost Three, uh, which is. Um, a composer that goes by Floex, but I believe his name is pronounced Thomas Dvorak. really really incredible um inside sounded wonderful i mean i I don't know if you'd necessarily consider that as musical as um yeah absolutely um that was a game that jim fowler who's the in-house principal composer over at playstation mentioned as a uh, a recent favorite of his and uh, before the game came out i remember i saw a really impressive talk by the audio lead and the composer Martin Stig Anderson about how much care he'd taken over the game's audio. It was absolutely mind blowing, and uh, and you know the developer Play Dead really laboured over that game for years and and polished the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah, they really really nailed that game. I, I feel like that's one of one of the best games anyone's ever made. What's your favorite all-time either game score or game composer? Hmm. Yeah, probably Thomas Deverek, Um and probably Machinarium. I think he's peerlessly good in terms of, of people.
again, you know, I don't like to put value um, judgment on on music. I think it's a very weird way to like, you know, the best of or one to ten. It's like I think it should be more thought of like fields of color and people are doing this, people are doing that, and you know, like within that value base, like steal from the things that are you know you can learn from, but the rest of it don't poo poo it, don't rate it. Um, but um, yeah, I think he's doing a lot of really, really, really lovely music. In terms of creative influences, what three or so ingredients went into your soundtrack for Strafe? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't really have an answer because I totally winged it. <laughs> um, I had never heard of Synthwave before interacting with them. Um, and on day one, uh, there's a song on the soundtrack called Doomed, and that was that was my like sort of interview song. They sent me Carpenter Brute, a track of his. I had never heard of him. And I was like, okay, I'll try to write something kind of like this. And that ended up getting on the final soundtrack. Uh, but I tried to figure out how people were writing Synthwave, which would be the first ingredient. Then I realized, like, I if I try to sound like this, it's just going to sound like a worse version of what they do. So um, how can I make this sound kind of like it's coming out of a Sega Genesis? Um, and then... A big influence was Streets of Rage 2, uh, that soundtrack. Every year, and, and all my friends, and Yuzo Koshiro's score, and that's one of the apart from Final Fantasy VII, for me, that's like you know, put on a pedestal. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Um, that was kind of there was this weird thing where like when, once I wrote most of the music and I was trying to mix it, um, it was a it was a total mess, and um, I was trying to clean it up and to make it kind of like near the production of other synthwave. Um, there's a lot of things like in terms of uh, transients and like sparkly high frequency stuff and like unified bases that, that make that genre work. And it wasn't going on in strafe, but when I would try to clean it up, the, the sound, it would just start to sound like a really bad dance track. So I, after a couple months, I just said like, screw it, let's go a different direction and just make it sound muddy and sludgy. And maybe it'll stand out in a different way. If we can make it punchy and like this, like mid kind of like meaty thing rather than like the crystal clear, high frequency like blasting of, of other synthwave.
And with the pace and flow of Strafe, combined with your four to the floor music, you're almost making the gameplay arena a dance floor. You know, you're really propelling the player onwards, similar to a lot of tracks in, say, uh, Hotline Miami. Um, did you think about it in those terms? Yeah, yeah. I, it was weird because it's, I mean, the entire game is basically four on the floor, which is, is you know, you could say it's like, wow, that's really boring. But it actually kind of ended up being a challenge. Like, okay, how do I make four on the floor for like an hour sound not yeah uh and so the, the basically the, the the entire soundtrack is just this formula of trying to keep keep like an infinite ladder of hooks going on so like hook flows into hook and you always feel like you're ascending and yeah it's like i guess that's kind of how energetic dance i i feel like i'm kind of like a hermit like i don't really go and dance but if i did that's probably what happens yeah yeah no that's a really that's a really thoughtful and kind of intellectual way of looking at it. I'm really pleased that you you thought about it that much rather than just be like, oh yeah, you know, I just... Because I, I hear in it, um, there's definitely some Nine Inch Nails in there, um, which is funny because Trent Reznor scored the original Quake. Now, you may not have even known that or have listened to that, but it brings colours of that into my mind and I also hear um, bits of the sort of the various Deus Ex games over the years. Cool, yeah. It's it's a weird soundtrack because on one hand it's supposed to be taking itself really seriously, but then it's also I, I think of the music as kind of silly. Mm. Like there's a lot of like really it's like kind of dick rock hooks. <laughs> um, but like, that's <laughs> I mean it's awesome though that you heard Trent Reznor in there because in a way it's like okay we're going back to the '90s and that particular soundtrack for, he did it's like there's no way I can you know cross reference Carpenter Brute and Trent Reznor doing this like weird totally bizarre ambient stuff so it, it, you know if if a little of that translated that's awesome. I was thinking about Anna Managuchi and uh, explicitly retro music artists because with electronic music you can often quite quickly identify an artist or a track's influences because of their choice of, of instrumentation, the BPM and the sort of harmonic and melodic style of a, of a track. You know, it might be a bit more subtle in the case of jazz or classical, um, but with Strafe you're deliberately flirting with that refracted retro idea and, and paying homage to 90s video game music you know especially with the track Luftenstein which I guess is a, a Wolfenstein 3D reference yeah yeah definitely
do you feel about this embracing of retro where there's a, a sort of feedback loop of 80s and 90s video game culture which which feeds into and in some cases fuses with modern electronic music. I mean, it's getting silly because people are making vinyl that looks like floppy disks. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, it's a strange thing. Um, like, people have reacted very well to the soundtrack, but there are people that are like, this sounds like the 80s. And there was one review that was like, the music's great, but it's from the 80s, not the 90s. And I... I think people don't realize that like none of this stuff that people are hearing right now sounds much like what it was going on in either of those decades. Um, it's this like bastardization of what we remember with what sort of appeals to us is like, we remember an infomercial that had silly, like Tom was going like do, 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 or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a conflation of all this stuff. Um, I think it's really neat that it's going on. Are you going to stick around in, in this space or do you want to sort of cast this off now? put a label on it and move on. I don't know. I mean, Strafe, for one, I'm sick of four on the floor. Uh, Cause the entire soundtrack is just like, like hit, hit plus snare hit. And um, it got a little stifling in a way. I'm glad people enjoy it. And I, and I'm really happy with how the soundtrack turned out, but um, I don't know if I'll necessarily, I don't can, I'm not a synth wave musician. Um, there's a, soundtrack by a free game called kingdom that's a little closer to my natural inclinations but if people like the soundtrack i'm i'm kind of curious to explore this space in a more personal way where i'm not writing it explicitly for a game maybe not quite in the same way yeah i mean i would really like to after this trip after or after this trip <laughs> after this game um everything was digital and i have all this analog stuff and um i would love to you know, do the next thing where it's everything's like sort of out of the box. And I just commissioned like a very high fidelity preamp. And I, I would like to, you know, stretch my legs in a different direction after this probably. So um, how did you get involved with Pixel Titans specifically? Was it all email based and kind of remote or, or did you bump into them in a bar? It was, yeah, email based. I met them as they were one of the people I was pitching to um, on a site called TIG. Um, and TIG forums, uh, it's sort of, people have devlogs on uh, a collection of forums and it, there's a nice community there and people are always, you know, helping each other out and stuff. And, and it's it seems like a good place to go if you're kind of starting out. And that's where I met them. And in, in terms of how you got started with the soundtrack and the back and forth between you, how did the project move along? It was pretty, I worked pretty autonomously. Um, most of strafe on release like i actually haven't seen so like the second half of the game i've only seen a little gifs of um so it's kind of like we need a song that's like a creepy version of like the uh in the canyon the second world in the game there's like there's a song that is supposed to reflect like it's stormy and dark and there's lightning and it's kind of like evil and threatening um so yeah they would give me like basically like descriptions of what they wanted And it, it sounds like 
it would have been in a way quite a lot of fun to just you've got your your rules essentially like you said trying to make it sound mega drive-esque and at one point you chose to limit it aesthetically to trying to achieve something overall and, and stick to four to the floor so at some point presumably you got into a nice flow with them so it's just they would say an aesthetic to you and you would kind of plug it into that that framework and see what came out yeah for the most part um and it was iterative the creative director of the game has pretty strong opinions so that you know there'd be back and forth and he would kind of know if he liked it right off the bat so uh, there's a decent amount that ended up kind of like cast on the floor yeah it was kind of like he would give me a description i would take a swing at it and if it if it was cool then i'd work from there and 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 flesh out the song and that's sort of how we how we got through it one song at a time what's your favorite track on the album or one that you'd quite like to highlight uh probably ruined that's the last song i wrote and i was finally starting to get my chops down in in my little version of that genre did that song come together one was quick um most of it probably came together in like an afternoon maybe like three or four hours is there anything you can reveal be happy to reveal about the the instruments you used on it or tricks or anything interesting about the techniques you're using on this particular track okay yeah i'd say there is one secret weapon on this soundtrack that is not secret because i don't think any of this stuff is mine or precious but um level lock that is that is why that song sounds cool, and that's why some of the later music, like Plague is another song that was later, written later. What is Level Lock? It's an old, there's there's software versions of it as well, which is what I used. Um, but a Level Lock was used for broadcasting, and it's a it's basically like a compressor that, that smushes the hell out of whatever you're listening to to bring voices to a very, very even level. You know, if you have like a low input microphone, it really like brings everything forward. But musically, it can just trash whatever you're, you're using if you turn it up all the way. It's especially cool on drums. Yeah, and I used it just way too much. <laughs> and then I would kind of like squish it with invisible sidechain elements and stuff like that. Yeah, level lock. There, there's there's the one thing I think I might have contributed to Synthwave. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, actually, probably people have been using that. I probably did not invent that. And how do you tend to start with a piece like that? What's your sort of a brief outline of your process? I, yeah, I've never figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I sit at a computer and like, or at this case, a computer, and and mess around with sounds like you know, it could be a kick drum, could be 
a lead. It could be an arpeggio. And I just try to go until I find something that inspires my ears and then build from there. But I, I yeah, it kind of feels like walking into a room with no lights on. And then you just try to feel your way into like, oh, where am I? And then eventually it starts to like illuminate itself. I don't know. And is there a second half of the process? Do you walk away from things and come back? Or do you send a rough draft to Pixel Titans before the structure's taken shape, maybe, so you have someone to bounce off? Yeah. Well, this one was, um, this game, I think I felt like I had to impress my proverbial clients more in this one. So I I would have that initial um, inspiration, and then I would iterate it, and then I would send it. Because I think... I was. I, I found that like first impressions were really important working with them. Yeah, I would. I would usually come back, try to flesh it out into something that at least a part of the song felt relatively polished, um, and then at least send them like a minute of near finalized uh, music. So with Streets of Rage two and with Sonic the Hedgehog two, what is it about those soundtracks that particularly? caught your imagination and is there anything specific technically you're doing here to try and uh, get back to that yeah actually um i tried to think of strafe sort of as like a racing game because even though i don't think this is quite maybe where the game is at right now i think the idea was that you only spend four minutes in a level and either you die in that amount of time or you finish it so it's like okay well that's kind of like a racing game um, or like Sonic the Hedgehog, where it's like you can stand still, but effectively you're like away from the controller. So in in Streets of Rage, it kind of pulls you forward. It doesn't do this pushing thing. It doesn't create space. It's just like no, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing. And it's kind of the same with with Sonic, where it's like about speed and the sound reflects speed. So that was kind of the goal of those. Honestly, the 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 cheap shot that I learned that is just all over strafe is just doing big fills yeah. at the end of eight bar bits. <laughs> um, like, and, and there's it's super repetitive in the soundtrack, but I just kind of left it in because it's like, no, this is kind of like Sega Genesis. So having these like fills and then this like big one or doing these ascending arpeggios um, or like hooks, hooks that are like these leads that go up and then, Right at the end, they kind of tuck down, but then like, oh, it's back to the one again. (laughs) Yeah, you know those gifs where it looks like you're it's it's infinite, you know? Yes, yeah. You're like looking infinite. I kind of try to like picture that a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there a particularly egregious track that uh, that'd be fun to kind of point out to people? Yeah, there's this big detuned lead on "Paint It Red," which is the first song in the game, and. it kind of does that, where it's like this earworm, but then it just kind of keeps floating or something. I don't know. feel about vinyl and the and the vinyl revival is it is it something that was particularly on your radar are you a collector or is it just a nice kind of 
interesting side thing for you. Wow, yeah, I'm I'm very very pleased that vinyl is coming back, and I think it was in 2016 for the first time in the 80s. It was like a billion dollar industry, which is probably you probably know those numbers better than I do. But um, I'm I'm very glad that vinyl is reemerging. Um, I think we're, culturally we're sort of at this point where people feel that music is something that they're sort of passively entitled to have for free, and I think vinyl reminds them that you know like a human made this. Someone actually wrote this music, and anything that kind of brings this form of art back into a physical space, I think, is is really gonna um, help out a lot. Because I, I just know so many successful musicians who um, make like fifteen thousand dollars a year, and they can't survive on it, and that's that's that sucks. The other side of the vinyl revival is that, at least on the soundtrack side, and especially video game soundtracks. A big, beautiful vinyl package is a nice piece of merchandise, like a, a T-shirt or a poster, and a, a great way to commemorate a game that you might only own digitally, but that you love. You know, even if you don't have a turntable. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great point. Um, and people don't realize this, but like records are magic. Like you have a needle that's driving through a groove, and it's it's able to create two different channels of sound that are occurring separately and different frequencies. Like, how is this happening? It's so cool. Um, and yeah, it's also like you get this big, beautiful piece of art um, or various pieces of art. And I feel like, especially right now, because final is a little bit of in the still a little boutique. It's not quite mainstream. Oftentimes they're really nicely made. Um, so I think, I think vinyl, I'm really glad as a format vinyl was the one that people, are reviving. I mean, cassettes are fine, but it's still plastic. Um, yeah, records are beautiful. Records are awesome. I love them, and they sound great. Well, the the problems that cassettes have going for them as a retro kind of uh, comeback format is that uh, they don't sound very good, and it's tiny, so <laughs> so it doesn't really work on either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the if VHS came back. It's like, well, that's cool, but I don't think you're going to want to listen to this after the novelty. Yeah, yeah. It's like try 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 teaching you this uh, a twelve year old kid what tracking on a VHS player is. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or eight tracks. You remember eight tracks? I think that no, we we're probably both too young for that. Those, are, yeah, that was like the. But it's like a cassette deck. I think I think they were just for cars. Maybe they were home things. But you put them in, and it just plays forward. And like you, you don't get to pick what you're listening to. And if you want to show a friend like one song, you have to listen to the whole thing over again till it runs through. I bet there are some people who are nostalgic for even old digital media like um, zip disks or uh, uh, certainly <laughs> with audio, um, mini disks. You remember mini disks? Mini disks, yeah. And those were promised to be this amazing lossless quality of the time. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on, on video game music? Where's it going? Where's it going next? From your couple of projects you've done and and other games you've played and enjoyed and games like Inside, which are kind of at the peak of their craft. Where do you want to see it go next? Yeah, I, you know, I think we're at a really um, odd time with with this whole, whole kind of explosion of indie games. And this applies to music too, where maybe like five years ago, um, there weren't many. But the, the, the bar was already really high. Like you had Fez, you had Dust Force, um, you had Sword and Sorcery, these games that had great soundtracks. You know, they were the indie game of the week, not like the indie game of the three-minute span. 
Um, so I think where it's going to go is there's going to be more and more and more saturation on a logistical level, and where which makes it very difficult. Um, I don't think it's going to get easier. I think it's going to get harder for, for us to make this work. But um, with that saturation, I think there's also going to be a lot of really, really great musicians um, jumping ship from, from the music industry, which is not doing well. Do you know that band Beirut? Yes, I do, yeah. People he played with, who were also in Neutral Milk Hotel, are now doing a soundtrack for a game. That's pretty weird. Like, how the hell is this amazing sort of Middle Eastern-y, klezmer-y band that does all live instrumentation occurring in, inside a game space? Um, I think what's going to happen is that the bar is going to get higher and higher, and, and game music is going to get better and better. And, and what I would really love to see is I'd love to see less digital music I'd love to see more live instrumentation, a little more experimentation that's not just about people fishing around plugins. Not that that's bad. And everything I've released so far under Toy Tree has been digital, but there's so much out there. There's so much out there. And things don't need to sound sparkly. Like let's let's mess it up. You know, when when's there gonna be the first video game soundtrack with Brazilian soca music? Yeah, and that's see that's kind of where my head goes. Um like when we have that, the first one, I'm just worried it's gonna be like, oh, okay, you just like looked up the instruments and then pulled out the, the samples, and that's fine too. But it'd be really nice to have even even for for the digital stuff, like or the digital sounding stuff. You know, when you have just like, like I'm I'm looking at an MS20 right now, which is a, a analog modular synthesizer. It it sounds really different than the plugin, and people in games haven't played games against the backdrop of 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 these these sounds. So I'd love to see that happen. It's much more complicated though, unfortunately. That's that's why I've so far just used digital. Like the turnaround for for using everything inside a computer is so much quicker. And you really have to know what you're doing with with outboard equipment and um, it adds a whole new whole new element. As long as there's a, an effective market where interesting, thoughtful composers like yourself are put in touch with game developers who are interested in really setting their game apart, making their game distinctive the way they would want their art to be distinctive or the game's story to be distinctive, um, then hopefully we should keep getting a higher frequency of interesting game scores, basically, like you say. And I think uh, and some of the tiredness around purely electronic music hopefully should be overshadowed by some really fantastic know real instrument scores yeah yeah totally i and that reminded me just sort of i mean like with with any game i think the the composers and it doesn't necessarily have to be digital or analog or acoustic it just all these things are options and we're just using one but um you know i think with any game it's it's the composer's hope to contribute something whether even if it's inside a genre, uh, contributes something which is unique to the game and that describes the, the game itself and not just like, oh, you're in a medieval town or something. But like, okay, well, how about what does this medieval world sound like? You know, or, or um, make it so it has its unique identity. And that's, that's kind of the challenge, I think, of writing music for media. But um, there's so much out there that's not digital that we can be using. And that's the exciting part of it. It's it's not necessarily like poo-pooing, not that you were suggesting this, but it's not that it's like, screw, you know, just using crappy stock plugins. It's just that like, no, there's there's like worlds of stuff that people could be 
um, exploiting to make make worlds and games sound believable and unique and new and fresh. So, yeah, I'm excited. In terms of instrumentation, I think of it as a bit of a scale where at one end it's fully electronic, composed completely on the computer, and at the other it's a full orchestral score, maybe with a choir. And in, in some ways, both of those extremes might be handled poorly since, you know, Redbook Audio was possible in games around the time of CD-ROMs. There have always been full orchestral game scores, but orchestral music might be just as dull as a computer composition in the wrong hands. Totally. And I, and I honestly, like, orchestral scores are usually my least favourite. Just if I had to pick, um, pick one, that is, I tend to just get kind of, like, numb to the music going on. Um, so, and some of my favorite music is still digital. I mean, like Brian Eno's music for airports, which is incredible and a a wonderful classic. I'm pretty sure that's all just kind of, actually, I don't know if it's all, I think a lot of, um, analog synthesis is in there, but I'm pretty sure he's kind of using like a crummy digital fake piano. And that's just like the voice of, of that album in a way. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily about putting live instrumentation over digital. It's, it's just that it's unexplored space, I think, within games, um, in my opinion. Um, what, you're, what you're calling for is a diversity of artistry rather than necessarily a diversity of any one type of instrumentation or genre or anything like that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but of course, unfortunately, artistry needs the budget and the time to kind of breathe and and uh and be worked upon um uh, which which the the schedule of video games sometimes doesn't allow that's yeah i think that's really constricting um like the previous game kingdom that soundtrack came together very very quickly i was writing like a song almost every afternoon um and i, I mean that's not like oh i'm so brilliant it just sometimes you get lucky and the soundtrack emerges I wouldn't have had that pace with Kingdom if uh, it hadn't been digital. Because you just, you're basically writing it and your notation makes it just emits sound and then you just like save it. It's, it's so quick. one track left to play but I'd like to remind you that you can venture over to our forum at canonrince.com forward slash forum where you can request songs for upcoming shows or react to shows that have already been aired. You can also get in touch with us at canonrince on Twitter or find us on Facebook under our canonrince name. Uh, my thanks to Amos and thank you all for listening. Here's Sanctuary from Strafe by Toy Tree. <laughs> <laughs>